0: UX of EdTech helps people design better ways to support learning. I'm your podcast host, Alicia Kwan, and I look forward to learning with you today. This is part six of the Design Maturity series. Today, I'm featuring the chief of user experience at EdPlus and Arizona State University, Amanda Gulley. Ed Plus is a tech company based within and backed by ASU and serves both their students and many other external clients. This conversation is packed with depth and insight. Be ready to take some notes as Amanda dives deeply into how their organization works. What really struck me from this conversation was how actual students are deeply embedded throughout their processes and team. They truly invest in students and emerging talent. I hope you enjoy your conversation and check the show notes for ways to follow us further.
1: I work for EdPlus, which is a enterprise unit at Arizona State University. I might also use the term ASU interchangeably, so I'll just state that really fast. But EdPlus was originally created about 10 years ago. Um, We were formed to build and scale online degree programs through ASU Online, At that time, we were managing around 50 programs. We now offer over 300. So a lot of that work um, that we did has really transformed and now focused into breaking down barriers into education. So an example of that may be financial barriers. One of our early partnerships was with Starbucks and creating the first of its kind tuition-free benefit Now called the Starbucks College Achievement Plan. And we later partnered with Uber on a similar partnership where Uber drivers could pass their benefits down to a family member. And so there's a lot of really exciting work that we do that spans out far from the university as well. But I joined ASU six years ago because of ASU's mission of inclusivity. Um, A part of our charter explicitly says that we're measured not by who we exclude, but by whom we include and how they succeed. So my role within EdPlus and at ASU at large is to help ensure the university designs technologies that prioritize inclusive, human-centered approaches that lives and breathes the students that use them. You know, User experience thrives in this type of environment because of our ability to empathize and serve our community and their needs. I also just found out this week that ASU hit a a milestone for the eighth consecutive year on being named the most innovative school in America. So being a part of EdPlus is directly tied to this innovation and is a badge we wear proudly. Um, A part of our work is, you know, really addressing the hard problems head on with some of the brightest talent in the field and It's really what makes coming into work every day so exciting. And so my position as the chief of user experience design has been to lead design research, engineering, and product teams in this space. And my background spans about 15 years. I started in K-12 to now spending my last six years here in higher ed.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. When I was Researching um, for this for this series and came across Ed Plus and ASU and the fact that you also have um, your role and then there's a chief design officer and there's just some titles that I'm not used to seeing at the at the higher ed level or at a university. Is that something that you get told a lot?
1: Yeah, actually, my position is the first at the university um, and probably many universities with the term user experience in it. Um, Our chief design officer was in a past life an instructional designer. We also have roles like our chief innovation officer and very normal chief technology officer. But even our chief technology officer was a designer. And so I think EdPlus is unique because we do have a lot of design expertise in our leadership who have invested and really channeled that energy and that purpose across the organization. So it's definitely unique, but I think something that's really needed across education.
0: Mm. Something that I'm asking different people is to unpack a little bit about their their hierarchy in terms of design representation. And I know you kind of, you just mentioned that, but if there was anything else you wanted to add about what kind of influence do these roles have on EdPlus and on ASU as a whole? And um, yeah, if you could just unpack a little bit more about um, you know, there's a CDO. There's um, y- yourself, your um, chief over user experience design. Um, how does that all break break down?
1: Yeah, I think well. To start, the C-suite expectation at EdPlus um, is design will become a differentiator for our business model. Maybe it'll become a competitive advantage by increasing enrollments or improving student persistence or even bringing in a new premium lens to the student experience that adds value and contributes to improve student outcomes, I think this is how many in Silicon Valley, you know, com- companies function. But it, like I said, it's newer to the ed tech, and I'm grateful that we do have executive leaders who understand this. And so, again, with my position, it's fairly new. Um, it again shows that we're investing into design and the maturity of design and how do we continue to grow that. I give a lot of my credit to our CTO who had started our design team, I want to say about seven years ago. Um, he was here before I was, and he really did build a culture between design and engineering, which I think you see it a lot of tech companies that there's very siloed approaches to how you do work. And so Matt, our our chief technology officer, he really understood how to thread that needle into our culture of how do we collaborate and work together. And so his design background and his technology background was the beginning of our user experience evolution of what I call it. And so um, with the chief design officer that you had brought up, um, he actually has a whole different purview of design. And so what I love about our leadership team is design is not left to one executive or one leader or one team. He really thinks about the partnerships that we form and how do we focus on partners who are willing to redesign the paths that students may take toward education. We have a lot of partnerships with uh, groups like YouTube and Google. And again, as I stated, some of our kind of business oriented partnerships with Starbucks and Uber towards financial barriers, we're continuously working with other universities in this space. And there's a lot of design that goes on there to that. How do we innovate what education looks like today? And how do we provide access to learners that may have not necessarily taken that traditional path? Uh, our other kind of C-suite executive and that hierarchical approach is our chief innovation officer, which is another newer, um, I would say, position that she actually focuses on a lot of our ed tech projects outside of ASU Online. And I'll give an example that we're working um, with Africa and um, right now uh, Ethiopia, which I'll be traveling to next week. And meeting with a few universities that we've partnered with to expand teaching and learning modalities across 50 universities in Africa. So a lot of this work historically was contracted out to agencies to perform. I would say over the last five years, we've been able to design a team internally that can support the growing amount of products we serve. And through those efficiencies, we're able to do it at a fraction of the cost with higher design quality and at a much faster So having leadership at the top that are all speaking a common language and prioritizing design resources, providing seats at the table that unlocks permanent maturity is key. And so design is not owned by any one person. And in fact, it's welcomed by all. And creating that culture at the top of the organization has taken time, but It is not, it's only with persistence and grit that you get there to continue to show what value design can bring to that organization.
0: I'm curious if we could just clarify too, when it comes to ed plus, so if I summarizing this well, essentially it's um, a tech company within, based within and backed by a university and it serves both the university itself, but also, a lot of initiatives externally that have an education bent to it and also sounds somewhat like an incubator too. How would you correct that? Does that sound somewhat right? It sounds spot on.
1: I like to say that we're, when we were first formed, we are very much like a startup. Um, As I stated, you know, most, most of our students are hundred percent remote. We serve the digital student for Arizona state university And because of that, we've had to adopt very sophisticated technology approaches and frameworks to be able to scale to 140,000 students that we hope to hit in the next few years online. And so there's been a lot of work to do that. But we've also, like I said earlier, expanded out. And so a part of that kind of entrepreneurial culture has really been committed to our charter of access. And so how do we help students across the globe find opportunities into the education space, whether it is through our K-12 digital prep environment, whether it is through higher ed, we have other units um, on campus like our learning enterprise that serves learners who are not degree seeking. And so we're really here to one, create that technology space That innovation that is needed to move us into the future of where education should be, but also I would consider us a little bit like an R and D, like an incubator that is here to move very fast and scale and learn and continue to push boundaries that have never been pushed before in at a university level, and so a lot of that is based around our president and his mission and his values and what the charter believes in, but. I would say, yes, in short, what you said is exactly how we function, which is not simple in any means, but it is extremely meaningful and is really how we attract a lot of our technology talent here in the first
0: place. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds extremely meaningful um, and makes sense to, you know, like you said, you're serving such a large population of digital students, as as you put it, and you uh, makes sense that you you want to be um, the experts in, in how to do that and, and just continue to grow and research and understanding um, you know what are great ways to do that and how do we innovate in that space. Um, can you define your definition, I guess, of design maturity briefly and and how would you measure it? Yeah, I have three frames of thought on
1: this. When I think about design maturity, you know, I think user experience in general has began to use a lot of business terms like information architecture and wireframing and all these things, which is great. But I would say design maturity is evolving from design for the sake of design and maybe low maturity environments and then transitioning into organizations that think high maturity looks like specialized design roles that maybe focus on interaction or UI or product design, usability, but that still doesn't define a high design maturity model. Maturity is moving past the user and instead designing for the human. We aren't just measuring how to build ed tech platforms that perform for certain business KPIs, even though yes, that's critical and extremely important. We need to empathize with who our users are by understanding them, right? If you're in higher education, like like I am, and your student is choosing to pursue a degree online because they have maybe little flexibility or time in the day to pursue their program, maybe they're trying to advance their career. Um, How do you really pull back the layers to understand that it's not just career advancement that we should be worrying about? But this student works 60 hours a week and they're trying to provide a better life for their children. So they're a working adult who also has a full-time job of being a mom or, you know, a, a dad. And so a middle, even thinking of like the middle school students we serve who's struggling with math, you know, most eighth graders have high anxiety in their math classes because they don't understand how to solve for X. And every time they get the problem wrong, it only continues to push them away from being successful. So design is about looking deeper, asking questions, and building technologies that are flexible and supportive for the working adult. Or for that middle school student, maybe it's motivating and provides positive reinforcement through game design. And when they answer a problem incorrectly, it doesn't easily discourage them from persisting and trying again with personalized support. How do you use your design mindset to humanize what we build and empathize so we go past just the product but provide experiences that create a better life for our students design maturity is about the human and not the user and so how do we continue to personalize our technologies and our services around who we're serving and what they need so that's like my broader um kind of sentence but i would say design maturity is about what role design has in your organization. And that's probably the harder part to, to reach. Um, It's about relationships and not just about technologies. You really do need that collaborative intelligence, that social intelligence to be able to get to that maturity level. And so having that um, and having designers who speak to the business and understand what value design brings to not just the humans but also what impact it has on outcomes is is critical and if you're at an institution where ux is not adopted you're just speaking a foreign language to the decision makers who maybe just blocking your team from making the necessary progress the business needs to thrive you know designers cannot be successful working in a silo and um, I guess my third my third thought on this is just measuring design, right? Convincing leadership design should have a seat at the table does not happen overnight, but it's easy to prove its effectiveness if you have the right expertise in place. And so those measurable outcomes um, in your question, how do you measure it, is really important. Um, I think of measurement as quantifying something. I would say for us that our number one measurement is whatever we design should be validated in some way by qualitative or quantitative metrics? You know, Does the work we do positively impact some key performance in indicator that we've defined prior to even doing the work? We should know and be intentional about the work that we do. And so there's, there's ways to quantify that through A-B testing or customer satisfaction scores or net promoter scores through, through surveys. There's also measurable, quantifiable ways of removing friction from the experience. You know, Did you improve a conversion metric like student enrollments or student adoption of that product or technology? I think also when we talk about quant, you have to triangulate your data with the qual, with the why. You can look at data all day, every day, but it won't tell you why people are doing it. It could also mislead you. So there's other ways to measure through user testing and uh, you know, user interviews and other qualitative methodologies that are critical. And then I would say there's, there's non-work specific related outcomes like your team's design competencies. Are you growing in other areas that you were not doing five years ago? Uh, what about employee productivity, which I also would caution because especially since the pandemic, there's also too much productivity that could lead to burnout. And so I think there is a fine line there as well that is a part of of that maturity model. I also hear a lot in this space that designers feel like they're always reacting and there's not that level of proactiveness. And so I think if you can measure that in a way where the projects you work on, you're being more proactive, we're understanding that that human that we're serving, that student at the beginning of the work we do is critical and should be celebrated. And so there's plenty of other metrics like, you know, growth and financial um, investment from the company. And if your team has expanded, uh, you can measure how many products or technologies that the organization has that has UX or design baked into the projects, the amount of teams you interact with, the level of collaboration, the time it takes to go to market. Uh, There's so many ways to measure. And I think the more sophisticated you get, the more you begin to measure and the more that that measurement validates the work that you have. And I would just end by saying that the industry is evolving so quickly that the minute you reach a level of maturity, there will always be new transformative ways to push the limits of what your team has experienced.
0: Mm i'm I'm wondering where is your company at now? you know where is ed plus and ASU at in terms of design maturity and how would you describe your your journey of getting there?
1: It was not without a lot of grit and a lot of influence. and so i I like to measure against industry reports out there. I use, for example, the Envision design maturity model. It's my favorite. I think it came out a few years ago, but there's others like, the Nielsen Norman Group, they have a UX maturity model. And I love reading um, reports from Accenture and McKinsey and how you can move user experience from UX to the customer experience, CX, to the business experience, BX, and that growth that it's having across the business. Um, There's so much data out there that you could measure yourselves against. And I think I would define us as being in the top tier of design maturity based off of these studies. And a lot of what we do is focused around user experience design. But like I said earlier, design can take so many forms. So when you think about, um, you know, designers and writers and researchers and engineers, data scientists, product managers, there's so many disciplines that focus on design and that are you know, are accountable to design. It also may mean design thinking and design strategy. And every solution we design is centered around who the design serves. So going back to your question on how we got there and how did we build a lot of that sophistication, it it took time. It's been about five years, I would say, from when we began this journey. I'll kind of give you a quick story about, where we started and why we started in the first place. Um, I would say it was uh, around the time where we had maybe two designers and a few engineers. We didn't have a research team. We were just starting to play in, in data. At that time, our data science director had just started the same time I did, which was very convenient for me. But I would say that Um, The design system that we built was the first level of maturity. We were running into these problems where we were building the same landing page over and over again for every new partner that we brought in. We were serving a lot of businesses and providing a 15 to 20 percent tuition benefit uh, for Adidas and um, Edcor and all these different agencies And we had to deliver landing pages that helped their employees find information about these benefits. And so with the resourcing we had, which was very little, there was a lot of frustration around becoming a machine ourselves. Like we were just doing the same work over and over again. And I remember at that time, our engineering leader, who's still here today and is a huge part of the growth that we have seen is he said just do it. Just encourage employees to find a niche and own it. Like allow them to to figure out how to solve for problems that we have. And and how do we as leaders give them space to do that? How do we advocate for them? And so one designer and one engineer worked together independently. They built trust together. They knew nothing about design systems. We purchased books. We found slack channels. we started reaching out to people in tech that had experience that we could interview, and we figured it out. Um, you know the design system that I'm referring to, we call it our rocket design system. It also ended up helping the university build the foundation of the what we call web standards. So now the entire university has adopted a framework of our design system. And so this had started, really the, this, like like I had said earlier, this like revolution of user experience within ASU. And I think that is where we started to understand that there was no limits. And we also understood that no one was going to give us that permission. And so we needed to work smarter and maybe a little bit harder at that time so that we could get to a place where we could innovate more and do the work that we knew that we were capable of. And i Just don't think at that time people understood what impact design had. And so part of that was building out standards, building out a data layer where we could track every clickable element on our technologies and build out a system where we could scale that and have that quantifiable metric that we needed to prove out the value of what we were doing. And so those shared goals, shared language, that accountability, bringing in other teams who could buy into what we were trying to do. Um, It was all very critical, but that one problem led to the design system that led us to defining and building out our why, not just who we were, but more importantly, who we wanted to be, who we knew we could be. And I think operationally, we started by building out those efficiencies through the design system, through design ops and engineering ops. We had built really well-defined processes to encourage deep integration between multidisciplinary teams, which is really the cornerstone of design maturity is how do you collaborate with other disciplines to become more sophisticated in your approach? But it takes a level, I think, of being very scrappy to get there For, for us, at least we had to figure out what we could do with the resources we had. And we invested a lot in the student employees. I, I would say student employees were a core component of our growth. Not only are we giving back into the mission of what we're doing to begin with, but we also have students who are living and breathing what we were doing and could also provide us feedback. And so we didn't just hire students for the sake of doing work. We built a culture of giving them very challenging work. and. Putting them in front of our senior leadership to show what they could do, and also bring some familiarity with with what they did, what we could do with them, and this trend continued. We ended up hiring, I think, eight students um, at
0: that time, so it was really incredible. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. So you're you're talking about these these student employees. I'm wondering, do you think that Ed Plus's attachment to ASU and just a university, that that's been an advantage that most ed tech and education companies don't have, that's helped you kind of reach a, the latter end of, of design maturity in in a relatively, you know, I know it's taken years, but relatively speaking, a good amount of time. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that? I love
1: that question because I, I, I want to say yes, but then I want to say no. And I say that because... We only can hire so many students, but it's incredible. You know, we have 20 students on our team right now that are contributing to the work that's going out um, and we're launching across the world. But we get maybe 80 applicants for every position we have. And there's so much opportunity for people in this space to provide internships and to provide some of these opportunities that you know, a university like ours could help bring visibility to. I think maybe that's a partnership that universities can provide to ed tech organizations, but I think that it can expand outside of the university. We see a lot of our students taking on internships with Google and Amazon and in the big tech space. But I think there's so much desire even within um in higher ed that students wanna contribute towards the mission that education brings. And so, yes, I think we have an advantage because they're here and we're serving them, but I think there's so much room for growth to provide these opportunities across organizations anywhere that can help students start to bring that mindset into the ed tech space more broadly.
0: Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Thanks for unpacking that a little bit. As you were talking, it just made me curious and was was wondering your thoughts on that. Um, so I imagine with some of the great um, gains and achievements and steps that you've taken, that there's been large obstacles to that as well. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to unpack any more about yeah, just this journey that you've been on, um, how did you get there? And maybe even some of your greatest challenges or obstacles that you faced?
1: Yeah, I think those two things go really nicely together. Because when I first started, I remember the word swim lane. (laughs) I remember because um, our CTO now he even put up a picture in a meeting uh, uh, with someone swimming down a pool. Um, everyone was very territorial, and I think when you're in that kind of low maturity model at an organization, people are very territorial about their space, right? I think there's even, you even see this in big tech sometimes because they create such niche positions that you're not really leveraging The strengths that you have across the organization to solve problems, right? Design is not just for designers, but also designers should not just be left to design. And so I think that level of collaboration is definitely not an obstacle, but an opportunity and something that you have to get through at the beginning. You have to begin to figure out a common language, whether that's aligning on goals, whether it's speaking um, to how this impacts the business, to working with data scientists who need areas of opportunity to find where we can do with this data and create that more personalized approach to our services. And so I also know that there's a misconception, right? That, um, education moves slow and I think we only move slow because we need more people to push and to work together and I think that is really critical in this space and I feel like we've been able to overcome but you know you'll see that a lot of people in education has been here for a very long time and so how do you begin to shift that that culture um, and begin to create that inclusivity that is extremely important to good design. I think that is where we've seen a lot of friction. But the minute we overcame that, we became smarter because we were working together. We were able to do things that we never would have been able to do without that deep level of integration and that collaborative intelligence. I I would say that the The prize at the end of all of this is innovation, right? That's what high design maturity teams can do. This is why we do it and why we continue to push ourselves over the limit of what we thought we could do to what we've never done before. And how do you create those efficiencies um, to be able to do more and to show the organization what impact it has and how do you bring awareness to the competencies and the work that we can do. And so I would definitely say that that probably has been the biggest obstacle, but I think right now too, especially since the pandemic, everything has become convenient, right? Like we're we're using Instacart to now go get our groceries and Amazon um, to buy our essentials. And so Uh, the world is changing. And I think we have to make sure that we're evolving, right? Like we can't, education can't remain in the space that it is today. We have to evolve it. It's critical to the success of our society of how do we make sure that we're staying on top of what, what our user expectations are and their expectations are the same, for every technology that they use. They, ex- they expect that seamlessness. You know, They expect us to be similar to what is being produced at the Silicon Valley level. And so I think we need to begin to look internally at our educators and to become the evangelists, we need to shift that culture and figure out as educators ourselves, how do we begin to start talking about the importance and value of design and Get our hands dirty to to grow those competencies more broadly in in this space
0: yeah i love listening to you unpack these things it's it's really exciting it makes me yeah just excited to think about um yeah innovation in this space um with that would you add any are there any specific obstacles um, that are particular to ed tech and education companies. And, and you kind of, you touched on that, um, you know, one of them being needing more people to push. Uh, but I wondered if you had any other thoughts around that specific obstacles for, for ed tech and education companies.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot that's, especially again, going back to the pandemic, I think right now this space is going to begin to be crowded, Um, You know, there's a lot of people who are seeing the need, um, especially in the digital space, to be able to provide these services from a digital modality standpoint. Um, At least like when I think about higher ed, we're seeing more universities now providing their experiences online, but there is a, I would say, a, a, a part of that that maybe is not thought through in the right way. And what I mean by that is, we can quickly put programs online, but there is a level of, I would say, quality that speed sometimes can can almost contradict that term, right? When you think about scale and speed and quality, those three things don't always come together. And so, I think one of the biggest obstacles is ensuring that what is being built is not being built for the sake of the need, um, you know, in the industry right now, and in the need of what what's happening with students and with with humans who are working from home and they're they're wanting to access their their learning content online, but also ensuring that it's the best experience, that it's the most quality curriculum. And for us, like our programs are the same, whether they're being taught on campus, it's taught by the same faculty online. It's the same curriculum. And I think quality is something that needs to really be thought through to make sure that um, it that we're serving our students, not just based off of their environment right now, but really serving them the same way we would for the last 100 years on on a campus environment. So I think that's probably the biggest obstacle I'm seeing right now with there's so many people moving into this space. But it's how do we begin to really push those organizations to think about the quality that they deliver in in that learning material.
0: Yeah. I want to make sure I have a clear picture of of your team. Could you tell me about how many people are are on the, the UX team at, at Plus?
1: Yeah. So we have right now, I want to say about f- a little over 40, but half of those are our students. Like I said, we really do invest into our student talent. And I think almost half of my full-time employees were once students. So it just shows we're very big about investing into junior talent too. But, um, My team is a little bit of a hodgepodge of different disciplines. It's a little bit unique to a traditional UX team. You'll usually see that UX consists of maybe designers and researchers, and even sometimes those are completely separated. Because of our culture and our deep level of integrations, my team has different disciplines ranging from UX design to, um, even in UX design, we have like complex architecture design to um, design systems. We also have an immersive design team. So we work on virtual reality, augmented reality, game design inside of the the classes and with our instructional designers and faculty. We also have UX researchers. We have a, a team of product managers, and we have a team of engineers. And so we do kind of, even though it seems like a big tech for a edu- big team for education, it is actually many different multidisciplinary teams that we have put under user experience so that everyone is accountable to that experience.
0: What's, what's next for, for EdPlus and for this team um, and for, for ASU really? Um, you know, what ways do you see EdPlus growing in design maturity and what steps are you planning to take to get there?
1: Yeah, I I love this question. I I think we we work very fast, which sometimes can be uh, detrimental as well. And we're really trying to not necessarily slow down, but um, I'm sure you've heard like design ops and engineering ops, and it's a kind of a newer um, trend. I wouldn't say trend, but a newer process because teams are becoming so sophisticated that we need to begin to build out playbooks and knowledge repositories and begin to figure out how do we scale our work the bigger we get and ensure that the quality is still there and we're being efficient. Um, Obviously new competencies is always something that we focus on. Like I brought up earlier, the our immersive design team they are newer over the last year. They were UX designers, but we believe in letting our talent find a niche and find a gap that the team has and become experts in that space. And that team um, was formed within the, the team that already existed. And so I think that's something that we're really excited about. We also have a lot of virtual reality XR projects around the university with Dreamscape and other initiatives that the university is really passionate about. But I would also say that We're also trying to balance this ethically humane part of building products that promotes well-being, accessibility, user privacy. I think user privacy is definitely something that the university is very passionate about. We're collecting more data and we're becoming more sophisticated with our data. And how do we begin to really think about this from a privacy standpoint? And Thinking about ethics and and building products that, you know, don't promote addiction or any poor behavior, but do the opposite, I think is really important from a psychology lens of how do we begin to move into that realm. And I would say maybe the last two areas might be um, our data science team. They're beginning to build out models that can help predict someone's likelihood to enroll. And so Um, Again, there's balance there, right, of how do we use that to understand the tools that we're creating to help students find programs? Like, we have 300 online degree programs. It's complete choice overload. How do we begin to help students easily, um, you know, with even the schedules they have? They don't have a lot of time to find a program that's best suited for them. And we have a lot of behavioral data that can help us not just understand maybe their likelihood to take an action, but when to intervene at the right time for students who may be at risk. So there's a lot of really great stuff that our data science team is doing that we want to start leveraging more broadly and huge um, expansion there. And my last and kind of final word is on this that just expansion. I think we're an enterprise team at the university and we want to continue to work with other units and help bring design and user experience to the front of the technologies that we're creating and continue to make ASU the university students want to attend where they feel like they're seen, heard and supported throughout every touch point of their journey. So there's so much opportunity, there's so much that we want to do and every year that goes by, there's always something new that I think um, definitely elevates us to, to trying something new. So, it's a really exciting space to be in.
0: Yeah, sounds very exciting, and I'm sure. Yeah, your team is just if they get the chance to listen to this, it's probably a reminder of um, yeah they they're working in an awesome opportunity right now. So yeah, it's it's awesome to hear you unpack that. And um, I guess Amanda, as as a leader of a team that's kind of gone through these phases. Um, Do you have any advice for those who are also looking to push their team and organization further along in their area of design maturity? It's a great question. I would
1: start by saying that to remember, if if you are a design leader, it's your responsibility to inform the organization on why design matters. So if you can remove the academic in you and simplify the value in a relatable way, I think You know, it's really important to influence others to invest in the building a design first human centered culture. And remember that design in its simplest form is not building because we can or should. But design is reframing the problem so that we can design a solution that is not only functional and exists for a simple purpose of getting from point A to B, but it's a differentiator compared to every other organization trying to beat you to market. You know, you don't need an army to begin. Um, If you wait until you get permission to do it, you never will. So you need to embrace failure, but also fail fast. And, you know, if I've let every no stand in my way, we wouldn't have been able to get to where we are. And so my final piece of advice is to remember that designers will never be successful working independently. So the sooner you can earn trust and empathize with your colleagues, learn how to work better together will only eventually lead to the collaborative intelligence you need for broader adoptions and inevitably design maturity.
0: Thanks so much. Um, Amanda, what are some great ways to follow you and, and your work and, and EdPlus and what you all are doing?
1: We Well, at least I'll say I'm very active on LinkedIn, um, so you can definitely find me there. We also have a team portfolio um, and also are uh, posting a lot um, within the ASU ecosystem. But we also do monthly trainings. We're very passionate about the field of UX. How do we upskill people in this space? We It's called our UX collaborative. So we always welcome anyone to join us. Um, They can reach out to me directly. It's a monthly training on Zoom that we also record. And so there's a lot of kind of work that we do in this space that we love sharing. So I would definitely say follow me on LinkedIn, reach out, and um, definitely just say hi anytime.
0: Thanks for listening. There are a couple other resources you might be interested in. UX of EdTech has an article publication and a community of practice. So if you want to dive in further on related topics around education and design in a more visual and written fashion, check out the publication. And if you're looking to meet other people in this space, network, jam and learn, and even share or find job opportunities, be sure to connect with our community. Check the show notes for ways to get involved with all of those things. This episode's theme music is by the band Sleep Still. UX of EdTech helps people design better ways to support learning. I'm your host, Alicia Kwan, and I look forward to learning with you next time.